All right, well, we're excited that you're here with us to keep walking through the book of Revelation. Um, as we uh, kind of started this journey, um, there's interesting things that only I think God can line up. Uh, and he does great things when we least expect it. And so if you don't know kind of our process, uh, Pastor Dave sits back in November, December time frame, looking out over the next year, and we try to decide what does the teaching look like. Um, and I'm going to throw him under the bus because he's not here, but for the most part, he gets all of the days in the, in the month. He doesn't like Excel or calendars. He just lists out days of the month. Um, and then we find there's missing pieces, so we fill them in. Um, but God, God lined this up where we, we have the privilege to kind of watch a video about honor, um, and we see some of the things we do honor in our life. Um, and I think we can all take a step back, and we can understand how we honor our country or our flag, those who have served. Um, and then let's take a look at that and take that same heart desire that we have with those and apply those to our living God. And so the question we have as we look at this is, do we honor God the same way we honor other things? And today we're going to step into the throne room um, of heaven. And so in here, again, we're going to see the same thing because what we're stepping into is something uh, that God is preparing, that God has already decided what it looks like, and we have a hope in, um, but we're not quite there yet, are we? And that's why as we look at like even the Lord's Prayer, we pray on earth as it is in heaven because we so desperately trust and hope in that and want that to be what exists here. And so as we look at this, and kind of like I said, that Lord's Prayer is going to just seep into stuff because uh, I think it comes through more than just where it's written, but it comes through all of God's Word that we look at this, that we look to honor and glorify God in his name and his kingdom and through his will, and then we look at who we are and how we respond to him. Um, but let's, let's pray a little bit, and then we'll kind of walk into the throne room. Lord, we just pray that you give us eyes to hear and hearts to see what you want us to see. We pray that communication um, is not hindered, that your spirit moves loudly and speaks and overcomes my inabilities and my, uh, my heartaches to, re to reveal your word and your heart your purpose for, for us today. Uh, open our hearts to see. We encourage and ask that you uh, let this be more than just about us, so that your word gets proclaimed across the globe today on your day. In your name we pray, amen. Um, so we're going to show up Pastor Dave as well because we have two alliterations we're going to walk through. Uh, we're going to introduce the throne room with the sequence, the setting, and the significance. And then we're going to move into the power or the position, the promise, and the power of what God is doing. And so as we look at the introduction, or we look at where we are, we need to realize that Revelation was kind of written in three parts. Um, and we see that in Revelation 1.19. So if you want to turn with me there, you can, but it's up here. And Jesus is, is asking John to write these things, and he says this, Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. And so John is writing down what Jesus is revealing, and, and he's going to say, hey, look, there's three parts of what Revelation is about. There's those things we're going to see, and those are, those are the things that we all, I think, struggle with. 
the imagery, the symbolism, the message in that. that, that um, and we're going to talk about that later. And then there's the things that are, and we've just walked through those things that are. That's, those are the letters to the seven churches, right? Where God is encouraging, where he's reprimanding, where he's calling the church and us to respond and to be moving with an intention because what takes place after this is coming, right? He's reminding us that there's a purpose in what he's doing. And, he, and we're going to get into this today. Okay, because this is the moment of transition in Revelation, right? where we move from Jesus talking to the churches, and then we want to think he's going to get, jump into how he's going to do the end, but he actually jumps straight to the end picture right away. And that's important for us. Right? And so if we turn to Revelation chapter 4, this is where he starts. And he says this, after this, I looked up, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice that I heard speaking to me was like a trumpet. And it said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. What must take place after this? And so what he's leading us to is our first image of heaven. And it's important us to realize that the first thing we see in heaven is the throne room. And that this is the centrality of what the gospel is. It's the centrality of what our heavenly future is. That it's God-focused more than it is us-centered. Right? And as we look at this, this means that we're, as we read through this next passage, we need to put ourselves in the right setting because what we're putting ourselves is, into is the perfect future. God's work has been done. And he's invited us into the throne room. And we are living out how he's intended us to be living today. And so we need to think about things in the perfect picture, not in some of the brokenness that we walk through. And the, the significance of this is that fact that the throne room is the central picture. right? And that's the message through Revelation. right? We're reminded that God is the focus above all things through this picture. Right, and that's not just, so that's the message in Revelation, but that's also the full biblical story, right? That this is, it's a God-centered piece, not focused on his punishment and judgment of us, but with his restoration of his kingdom, of his returning back to the central point that we're made to be in his presence. Right, and so here we go. We're going to walk into the throne room. And we're going to get this image that's presented to us. And this image is important because it's going to remind us of a few things that we shouldn't take for granted. Right? We're reminded of God's position. We're reminded of God's promise. We're reminded of his power. And most importantly, we're going to be reminded of our posture as we respond to his position, promise, and power. So if you want, turn with me to Revelation chapter 4, and we're going we're gonna to dig into this. Um, so after this, I looked up, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirits, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. 
And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carlinian, and around the stone was a rainbow that had the appearance of emeralds. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. I'm going to stop there for a second. So as we enter into this, we come into God's throne room, and what we first see is a throne. And that kind of makes sense. In the, in, as we think about the most important things in a throne room, it's the throne. And most importantly, as we look at it, someone is already seated on that throne for us. Right? And so when we think about this, it's important because the throne is filled. The person in power is already seated on it, right? One of the things we need to think about when we read Scripture is what it says and also what it implies. Because part of this picture is that God is seated there and that seat is filled. So we don't have a seat in that spot. But God calls people to sit next to him, right? Christ is identified as sitting at his right-hand side. Right? Talk about the footstool. We're invited to sit alongside, but not in the position of power. All right, and so as we think about this, we need to think about how often we might try to push God out of the way. Because I don't know about you, that, but that often happens in my heart where I want to be the one in control. But if he's already seated there, and we know this is the then image He's not getting out of that seat. And so we need to honor and respect the man who sits in it. And the more we look at this, we need to understand that throne sits, right? It stands up in heaven. And so there's kind of this idea that it stands in elevation to us, right? Above us. And there's a placement that should hopefully draw us into a natural response of respecting what's in the chair. And more about that, it gives us an idea of who's an authority and the vision that's there. Um, so growing up, I was a lifeguard. Um, there was something special about sitting. How many of you were lifeguards? A few of you, okay. There was something special sitting in your throne, wasn't it? Along the pool, there were all these little thrones, and you got to sit up above people, and they gave you a whistle which meant you have power. It wasn't your rules, or sometimes you made up your own. But you, you got to whistle at people and let them know. And it was for their safety most of the time. But there's power that comes in sitting on that throne, doesn't it? And on top of that, there's visibility that comes from that spot. Right? As a lifeguard, when you stood on the side of the pool, what you saw was face after face after face, and it just got confusing. But when you sit in the throne above, all of a sudden you see the space around people. You don't just see the glare of the water, but you see through the water and the dangers and the depths and what's out there. And that's the same image I have of God sitting on his throne. Right, that he's sitting in that place because he has the power to do things and the authority. Right? And he's doing that out of love for us, out of care for our safety. Right? And then he's got an, a visibility that we don't see. 
Right? How often after the fact we've made a judgment or we have a perception about something or we even open our mouths and say something and we don't have that whole story. Yet we have a God who sits on top and in his throne who has the power and the visibility to see what we don't see. And sometimes we need to step back and recognize I'm not in that place and I need to trust his heart and his visibility over my own eyes. And as we keep kind of walking through this image um, of God sitting on the throne, we, we, we're given the, the image that he's already seated there. And he's got kind of a persona that we need to look at. And we see that in some of the imagery that comes out, right? We see, we see that in this, that there's this appearance of Jasper and Carlinian, or in some versions, Sardis, Okay. And what that should do for us, or at least what it did for the people when John was writing this, was that they remembered another story that had these same colors associated with them. It goes back to Exodus. And you shall sit, so Exodus chapter 28, we're going to skip a little to the middle. You shall set in it four rows of stones. So this is the priestly ephod, the priestly garment that the high priest is wearing into the tabernacle. Right? And it's heavy and it's big and it's meant to remind them of who they serve. And on it you shall set four rows of stones. A row of sardis or carlinian, topaz and carbuncle shall be the first row, and the second row an emerald, a sapphire and a diamond, and the third row of jathins an agate, and an amethyst, and then the fourth row of beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. Right? The first and the last listed on the man on the throne is the first and the last listed on that priestly ephod. And they shall be set in gold figurines, and there shall be twelve stones, and with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel, they shall be like signets, with each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. So sitting on this throne is the image of, of God who has the first and the last stone of that priestly garment. This should bring us to that idea of the Alpha and Omega. It should bring us to this idea that what those stones represented to the high priest was a reminder of all God's people who he stood as a representative of. And now sitting on that throne we don't have just 12 stones, but we have the first and the last representing the fact that God sits on that throne for all of his people. Not just the tribe, but all of us. And if we keep going, we're going to get into this picture of God's promise to us. We, we get into this rainbow, an emerald rainbow that's radiating around the throne. And again, this is another one of those hyperlinks because the people of that time would recognize what this meant. Right? This represented the Noahic covenant of what that promise God gave to Noah after the flood. And he said this, and this is the sign of the covenant I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. That's us. And I've set my bow or my bow in the clouds and I, it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And I, when I bring clouds over the earth, the bow is seen in the clouds. 
And I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. So as we think of his promise, we need to see that in the Noahic covenant, God promises that when the circumstances are right, I'm going to put a rainbow out there to remind myself and you of my promise. Right? When the clouds are out, when all is kind of perfect, right, we can see that rainbow and God has a reminder of it. But there's something that's unique in this rainbow that sits around the throne, that it's ever-present. Right? The promise has been fulfilled. In him sitting in the seat of judgment, he has kept his promise. He has not destroyed all flesh, but he's brought us into his presence. Which is why those 24 elders will sit around him. As we keep reading. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles, rumblings and the peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was as, as it were a sea of glass like crystal. We come from seeing God's position, right, of him sitting in authority, of him sitting up there where we are not, with his kind of fulfilled promise of what's going on here, and we come and we start to see God's power that exists. And sitting around this, the scripture says there's 24 thrones, and sitting on those thrones are 24 elders. Now here's the picture we need to think about, because I want to tell you, in my interpretation and looking at some of the commentaries, I think we, the church, are represented in those 24 thrones. There's some commentaries that talk that this is the 12 disciples and the the 12 tribes, the heads of the tribes, that this is the 24 priestly um, um, groups that are out there. But if we go back to Laodicea, this is what God had called them to do. But I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Here we have sitting around the heavenly throne, 24 thrones, all clothed in white, wearing a golden crown. I think that's us. And as we, the church, sit around a heavenly Father, we are watching the show of his power. And we should have a feeling of awe of what God is doing and what he does and what he's done to be there. And we don't need to be scared of this anymore. Because again, if we, if we look at the link that God is giving us here, we go back to Exodus chapter 20. And in Exodus chapter 20, we see again God's people standing around, at that point, an earthly throne. God's up on the mountain, and he's calling his people to be holy and to prepare themselves to to, to come into his presence. And this is how they respond. 
Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. There's a power that the people recognize. And when we sit on this side, of that heavenly place, we know we're still walking through some struggle. Although we know the hope and the security of our salvation, we still have to deal with that that sinful tug, that walk through temptation. And sometimes it's just hard to recognize and to give away power to God. Yet here we have In the perfect place, the first image of God, we see God's people just sitting, watching God's power and being in awe thereof. And as we watch in a second, we're going to see them worship him through all of it. Not running away, but coming to the mountain, ready to receive him. And if we keep going, there's seven torches that sit in front of this. So this is the Holy Spirit. This is also a reminder of the lampstand that sat in the tabernacle that lit up a dark place, the power that sits at God's feet. And as we think of the Holy Spirit and the power God has with that to convict and to move and for miracles, and for we're just reminded of how great our God is. And then if we move to just one more space in this, because in front of all of that, we have a sea-like glass. As a sailor, we would be out to sea, and every so often we would get that perfect, calm ocean. It doesn't happen that much. And when it happened in the morning or at sunset and just God's creation reflecting, you sat in awe of it. And then we sat in awe of the chaos and the power and the destruction that would sit in that same sea. And yet here we have a God who sits up there and has a sea of glass. And I'm just reminded of Genesis where God separates the sea and in between is the heavens. And we have his power to put that same character and that struggle and the chaos in one world and have his perfection in the other. And again, I hope it will bring us to recognize what we're supposed to do in response. Because this is what happens next. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind, and the first living creature like a lion, and the second living creature like an ox, and the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things. By your will they existed and were created.
the posture of our response needs to be about perpetual worship. This idea of giving glory, honor, and power to the God who has the position, who has fulfilled the promise, and has the power to do all these things. And what we're supposed to do is bend our knee to him. And as we look at what's going on, what's happening here is all of heaven, right? We have four angelic creatures calling us to worship. Leading the church, leading us, reminding us perpetually that our hearts need to be aligned, that our desires should be aligned with God, living in perfect unity, in perfect relationship, following their lead. Right? What it feels like here that this is more than just words, but this is our heart. These are our desires. And it's about throwing our crown at the foot of his throne. There's something we got to think about when it comes to that crown. Because who gets a crown? The victors. The king. The servants don't get crowns. Yet, God calls us and he puts a crown of victory on on us. And what our response is, is not to hold that crown with all our power and might, but to cast it down at his feet and give it all away. That's the heart of what our response is supposed to be. Our posture is supposed to be a full reverence, full commitment all the time to our Heavenly Father. So again, there's a hyperlink in this picture. For those of you who kind of know the picture of the four creatures, this should bring us back to Ezekiel, where we have four creatures very similar. I'm going to say they're the same, and the reason is if I saw this, I don't think I could describe that same thing twice. These are some things that are just too much for us to understand. But yet, In Ezekiel, it calls us to something different. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel is called, he sees these creatures, and again, he hears the one voice coming out of this. And he says this, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Remember back to the beginning of this vision, John is brought after hearing the voice into heaven and he's presented there. And here he says, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to the nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. As we think of the contrast here, I'm going to take us out of our heavenly place where it's the perfect heaven where it's God's plan complete, and I'm going to bring us back to where we sit today. Because this is where Ezekiel sits, calling God's people to repentance. And that's what we're called to do as well. Because as we think of the difference between Ezekiel's call in these creatures and John's creatures, the difference is in John's picture 
There's only the church. There is no one outside. There is no need to call someone to repentance because all of that has been fulfilled and completed. And there's another place for those who don't have that faith. But we sit on this side of that after. And Ezekiel's call and God's call on him is to go and call those people to repent even though they know they're going to rebel. And so for us, I think here's our contrast we need to walk forward in. Is what posture do we have in our worship? What posture do we have in our hearts as we go forward with this? And so let's, let's look about what do we do with this? So I think the first question we need to ask ourselves is, how is our worship? I want you to know when I, uh, you, I've been here 15 years, you've seen me grow, I hope you've seen me grow, my walk looked a lot different uh, when I first stumbled in these doors. Um, church was a great thing, and in these pews I would cry, and I would fall down, and I would cast my crown at God's feet. I think we all recognize that here. I think there's a conviction that happens when we're willing to come and worship the Holy God. Something moves in us. And then we walk out the doors and we get on with our life. And I found myself crawling and trying to grab my crown back and put it back on my head and hold as tight to it as I could. Because I like to be in control. I like my vision of the world. But then we're reminded that next Sunday when we come back that we're supposed to cast down our throne or our crowns, our power, and sit underneath him who sits on the throne, who has the position, who has the power, who's fulfilled the promise, and he's calling us to worship him. Now, this sounds weird because heaven only of worship doesn't really make me excited. Um, as we get through the rest of Revelation, we will see how much bigger and better heaven's image is. But there's something special about this first image that we need to recognize, that the first experience we have in heaven is seeing our Heavenly Father on His throne and recognizing how we're supposed to respond. So as we keep going, we look at the 24 elders that sit around that throne. And here's my call to you. If, if the only time you throw down your crown at our Heavenly Father is on Sunday, you're missing out on so much. So much incredibleness, so much blessing, so much goodness that He has to offer. The 24, to me, represents 24 hours of the day. How often are we willing to come and submit to him, to throw our crown to him? Because even standing here today, I'm going to tell you I like my crown, and I fight to get it back. And the gospel is the only thing that's going to call us to keep laying it back out. And I think there's a reason these four creatures keep calling the church us into worship, 
because we need it. And we need it all the time. And the more you can come to that place of laying your crown down, I just want to tell you, you're going to see things and feel things and be led by things that you can't imagine. Because it's his power that's doing it and not ours. So let's pray. And as we pray, we're just going to pray together through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, if you know it, just sing it out in your, your version, the one you remember, whatever it is. But we're going to pray this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those our debtors. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's remember those last words, right? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. That's what we're called to sit down and proclaim. That's what these angels are proclaiming. That should be our heart's desire. Lord, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know that this is through your son and the work he did on the cross. Amen.